Well, as we continue in worship and go to God's word, we find ourselves in a new sermon series, Summer in the Spirit. We're gonna be looking at the fruit of the Spirit. Now, this is very different than us talking about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. You know, when we look at the New Testament and the Bible talks about the gifts of the Holy Spirit, it's this idea that God gives us unique gifts individually as Christians. We have unique gifts. They're specific to each and every one of us. And yet we don't have the fullness of every single one of these gifts, but that God gives us some, some of these gifts. In fact, in Ephesians chapter four, scripture reminds us that God gives us the gifts, the, the gifts that he gave that some would be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ. You can hear that in there. God gave some this and God gave some that. It wasn't as if though that God gave each and every one of us the fullness of all the spiritual gifts. And yet in this sermon series, this summer in the spirit, we're looking at the fruit of the spirit. It's very different than the spiritual gifts in that God wants to make manifest in and through us all the fullness of the fruit that is, comes from the Spirit of God. This fruit, notice how I'm not saying fruits. It is a singular fruit that comes, that, that, that is generated, that, that is, is blossomed and bloomed, that comes from the tree of the Holy Spirit. And so that's what we're gonna look at today. This is what we're gonna look at for the rest of this summer series. We're gonna be exploring what, is, uh, what does it mean for us to exhibit the fruit of the Spirit? So in a moment, we're gonna to go to God's word. We're gonna be going to Galatians chapter five, verses 22 through 23. So I'd encourage you to go there with me. And as you go, at the end of this reading, like we say every week, I'm gonna say, this is the reading of God's word. And if you believe it to be true, respond by saying, thanks be to God. Galatians chapter five, verse 22. By contrast, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against such things. This is the reading of God's word. Thanks be to God. Now, when I was young and I learned the fruit of the Spirit, I often learned this as the fruits of the Spirit. Have you ever heard that phrase? Do you ever hear people talk about the fruits of the Spirit? You hear it being described as plural. It's as if though, when I was a kid, I was hearing from different people. And even as an adult, I hear from different people. People say things like, you know, um, I'm loving. I'm just not very patient. You know, I'm just not a patient person. That's just not me. That's just not how I'm wired. You know, we hear things like that. Or like, I'm kind. I'm just not very gentle. You know, that's gentleness is for somebody else. And so we think like in the way in which we talk about the fruit of the Spirit, we talk about it as fruits of the Spirit, as if you can kind of pick and choose which kind of tree you want to be. Do you ever hear that? Do you ever think about that in your own life? Do you ever hear yourself saying, oh, you know, that's just not me. That's not the gift that God has given me. Well, this is for all of us. The fruit of the Spirit is singular. It is a result of, it is the manifestation of us being rooted, rooted 
and grounded, rooted and grounded in Christ, rooted in the Holy Spirit. Today, as we look at the fruit of the Spirit, we're going to be specifically talking about the flavor of love. Have you ever eaten an apple? That sounds like a silly question. Of course, yes, likely you've eaten an apple. But have you ever tasted an apple? If you uh, close your eyes and you bite into the apple, you not only taste the apple, but it has a certain texture. It has a certain feeling that's associated with that apple. In fact, in that apple, you might have notes that are are sweet. Uh, Some that might have a a, a taste that's a little bit sour. It might be more meatier. It might be, you know, harder to bite into. It might have a, a louder crisp. It has a different sound. Like each and every aspect of this apple is core to its very identity. You know, whether that's a Fuji apple or, you know, you know a honey crisp apple, the, those are unique apples. And there's, there's aspects of those apples that make them unique. The fruit of the Spirit is like that apple. It is unique. It has different flavors and different notes, a different texture, a different sound. You experience the fruit of the Spirit, the way in which it's described, that it's it's unique. It's unique to the fruit of the Spirit. It's unique to us as people of the Spirit. As people of the Spirit, you know, if, as we go back to the text in Galatians 5.22, you'll see that, uh, you know, as we look at this, this fruit and we, we look at the flavor of this fruit as, uh, as an aspect of it being love, you see in the very beginning that the Apostle Paul, writing to the church in Galatia, says, by contrast, the fruit of the Spirit is. And I don't want us to blow by... This, this phrase, by contrast, because he's actually doing something here. He's contrasting two trees. He's contrasting two fruits. He's contrasting two roots. And that's what we're going to be looking at this morning. What are these trees? What are the fruits? And what is the root? And so let's look at that. The fruit of the Spirit is presented after, after Paul lists a very different tree. Let's go there. Galatians chapter 5. Again, it's still in the same chapter, but Galatians 5, verses 16 through 21. Paul writes, Live by the Spirit, I say, and do not gratify the desires of the flesh. For what the flesh desires is opposed to the Spirit, and what the Spirit desires is opposed to the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to prevent you from doing what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not subject to the law. Now the works of the flesh are obvious. He goes on to list these. He says fornication and impurity, licentiousness, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, anger, quarrels, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, and things like these. See, Paul uses this word flesh to describe this other tree. Now, when Paul is using the word flesh, he's not literally talking about our skin or like the meat on our bones, okay? He's not talking about that. He's not, it's not as if somehow our physical bodies or our physical reality is somehow bad, 
He's not saying that our physical bodies are bad or our physicality is bad and that our spiritual reality is good. Those, that's not what Paul's doing here. In fact, that's actually, uh, that's, that's a belief called Gnosticism. Gnosticism is this age-old belief uh, within Christianity that somehow uh, our flesh, our sarks, our skin, our physical bodies are bad. And what we need to do is that we need to get rid of all of our physical and just focus on our spiritual. And if we were to focus on our spiritual, then we would somehow be good. In fact, um, you know, in the early church, Gnosticism was prevalent. And in early, like, you know, 100, 200s, it was prevalent. It was this idea that, uh, that they couldn't even hold the truth that Jesus was both fully God and fully human. Because in their minds, they're like, that's impossible for God to be both fully God and fully, or for Jesus to be both fully God and fully human. Because if he took on human flesh, right, and flesh is bad, then that would somehow make Jesus impure. And you see this still prevalent in the way in which we talk today within the church, the way in which we don't talk today within the church, the way we stammer around topics regarding sex. Uh, we don't even address it because somehow sex can be seen as bad in some circles. Or you see it in, in monks, you know, in, in certain monasteries in the past where monks would take whips and they would literally like, like beat themselves. They would beat their bodies, whip themselves because it was their flesh. It was their bodies that they thought were the things that were generating these impure thoughts or these impure motives or this, this diseased fruit. And yet Paul is not saying, he is not preaching Gnosticism. He's not saying that your physical body is bad or that your spiritual body or your spiritual reality is good. It's not, uh, he's not doing this dichotomy between physical and spiritual. Rather, when he's saying flesh, he means self. When we're self-motivated, when we are uh, pursuing our with out the without God selves, okay? Ourselves without God. A without God self is someone who has selfish desires. It's when we're self-motivated, when we're self-interested, when we're interested in preserving ourselves, when we're self-seeking, when we're self-consumed. When Paul uses this word flesh, he's referring to us being selfish, self-focused, consumed, rooted in ourselves. And he says, you know, hey, this other tree of self, it produces fruit too. In fact, this fruit is really obvious. You know, I love it how uh, Eugene Peterson uh, rephrases these different fruits, this, this fruit that manifests from the self. He says, the fruit of the flesh, he goes in, on to say, it's repetitive, loveless, Cheap sex. He says it's a stinking accumulation of mental and emotional garbage. He says it's frenzied and joyless grabs for happiness. The fruit of the flesh, according to Eugene Peterson, is this trinket gods, this, this magic show religion. It's this paranoid loneliness, this cutthroat competition. It's this all-consuming yet never satisfying wants. The fruit of the flesh is obvious. It's a brutal temper. 
an inability to be loved or to love. It's divided homes and divided lives. The fruit of the flesh is obvious. The small-minded and lopsided selfish pursuits, the vicious habit of depersonalizing everyone into a rival. It's uncontrolled and uncontrollable addictions. It's this ugly caricatures of community. And Paul says, I could go on. Like, I can go on and on. The, the fruit of the self is obvious. We know it. We know it not only when we see it in others, but we know it in ourselves. We don't have to necessarily describe each and every single one of these things. We know them to be true. We know when we're rooted in ourselves. You know, as you um, listened to this list, did any sound familiar? No, I'm not talking about, uh, you know, did this sound familiar about a friend that you have? Oh, yes, I have this friend I need to talk to about these things. Or your spouse, right? This isn't a time to nudge your spouse and be like, hey, they're talking about you. No, it's like, did any of these taste familiar in your own life? Does these sound familiar to you? See, when we're taught about these things, often in Christendom, in church, we're often taught that if any of these things are exhibited in your life, you just need to cut it out, right? You see a diseased fruit on the tree of your life, you just need to grab it and rip it off. And yes, that's good, okay? I'm not saying you shouldn't just, you should just keep it up there. No, we wanna grab those things and we wanna pluck them off the problem is, is when we pluck one of those things off, let's say we you know, pluck off anger or rage. Yes, that's important. But what often is filled, you know, what often springs forth after we pluck that off, drunkenness. <laughs> and if we pluck off drunkenness, then what actually comes, you know, a whole list of things can, can replace those diseased fruits just by, just by ripping one of them off doesn't solve the problem. It's important to pluck off the fruit, but it's more important that we dig up the root. We need to do some gardening. We need to do some cultivating. We need to dig around the tree that is our life and look at what we're rooted in because it's out of that root that springs forth the fruit. So the Apostle Paul here is saying, you know what? I want you to put off rage I want you, yes, I want you to put off drunkenness. I want you to put off all these things, but I want you to dig up the root. The ultimate solution, the Apostle Paul says, to the diseased fruit in your life is not the fruit itself, but the root. A tree that is diseased likely has a problem that's under the surface. You might not even see it. What's under the surface of your life? Paul's solution is not just simply pluck off the fruit, but to dig up the roots. And I got to tell you, I had a moment recently. Oh my goodness, it was a powerful moment. It was at one of our worship nights just recently here at Bellar Church, and we were worshiping together. And in that night, we had an opportunity to receive prayer. Our prayer teams came forward, and I invited everyone in the community, come on, let's receive prayer. Let's re receive, let's be prayed over. And so I thought to myself, actually, the Spirit prompted me and said, you know, the Spirit's like, Mike, you need to you need to be the first to go. If you're asking everybody else to receive prayer, Mike, you need to receive prayer. And so I went up to one of our prayer team members and I asked her to pray for me. And I asked her, I said, you know, I, 
I don't have anything specific that comes to mind. Would you just pray how you feel led? (laughs) She went after it. She went after it. It wasn't like a surface prayer. She wasn't just talking about these kind of surfacey things. She went under the surface and started going after the root of my life. I'm talking, she went from the very bottoms of my feet to the, the tip, the top of my head. She approached every aspect of my life, praying for newness, praying for life, praying for the old to be ripped out and for the new to come. She was the gardener. The Holy Spirit was working through her doing this work and as every single thing is just, I can feel it. I'm like getting teary-eyed right now because I can experience like, yes, Lord, yes, I want that. Yes, I didn't see that. Yes, Lord. And I was like filled with joy. I was overcome because this woman spoke to the depth, the deep places of my life, the places where I was finding where I was going to, to be rooted in. She was inviting this root to be pulled up and to be replaced with something new. It was a beautiful moment. I'll cherish it. I still cherish it. I still live into it. I can remember it. I can recall it. And this work that was done by someone else in my life through the power of the Holy Spirit was this cultivating work. What Paul's talking about is like, we gotta dig this up. We gotta look at the root. If I have a fruit problem, a manifestation of some sort of diseased fruit in my life, I have to look at the root. And so there's this tale of two trees, one that is producing the fruit of the Spirit, the other that's producing the fruit of self. And there's this tale of a different root that Paul brings us to. He says, you know, he doesn't say, he says, it, it doesn't have to be this way. He gives us an alternative. He says, by contrast, there's another root. There's another root that produces a different kind of fruit. In John 15, five, we read that Jesus says this to us. He says, I am the vine and you are the branches. Jesus says, I am the root. I am the source. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, Jesus says, you will bear much fruit. You will bear much fruit. When your root system is not rooted in yourself, But when you're rooted and grounded in Christ, when you're rooted through Christ to the power of the Holy Spirit, a different kind of fruit is produced in your life. When you're rooted in Christ, you produce the fruit of God. God's desires are actually made obvious through us. We display the desires of God through our branches. So let's go back to the first, this list of the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. We haven't gotten very far in Galatians 5, 22. We're not going to get much farther either, but it says, you know, the fruit of the Spirit, Paul says, the fruit of the Spirit is love. Now in this, this sermon series, the summer in the Spirit, we're going to be looking at, you know, all the different aspects of this fruit. But for the purposes of today, we're specifically going to be looking at the, the aspect of this fruit as it's described as love. Love, 
Hmm. Love. In preparation for this sermon, I found myself asking myself, have we given up on love? Have we given up on love? Have we found that love is no longer useful for us? It no longer carries the kind of effect that we want to see. Have we given up on love? Not just as individuals, not just as a society, but have we given up on love as the church? Do we no longer believe it's effective? Do we no longer believe that it is primary, that it is core, that it is vital, that it is foundational to us, to our very identity, to who we are as Christians, people of the Spirit? Have we given up on love? It's not by accident, it's not by coincidence that the Apostle Paul lists love as the first flavor of this fruit. It's the first flavor. He describes the fruit of the Spirit as first, it all begins with the flavor of love. So what is love? Well, <laughs> if you've ever been to a Christian wedding, likely you've heard uh, the pastor recite 1 Corinthians 13. And now 1 Corinthians 13 is not reserved just for a married couple. It's not just reserved for the covenant of marriage or a, a love relationship between a man and a woman. It's not reserved just for that. No, 1 Corinthians 13 describes love as this is who we are as Christians. And you've heard this. Apostle Paul says that, that love is patient. Love is described as kind. It's not envious. It's not boastful or arrogant. It's not rude. Paul says that love never gives up. Love cares more for others than for self. Love does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. Love doesn't force itself on others. Love is not always about me first. Love doesn't fly off the handle. Love doesn't keep score of the sins of others. It doesn't rejoice in wrongdoing, but it rejoices in the truth. Love, Paul says, puts up with anything. Love trusts God always, always looks for the best and never looks back. Love never ends. This kind of love is tangible. This kind of love, you can see it. You can experience it. You can taste it. This love is, is, is a way in which it describes this fruit of the Spirit. This love is foundational to who we are. In fact, it's, it's foundational to who we are as we are rooted in Christ. The Apostle Paul says in Ephesians 3.17 that we are to be rooted and grounded in love. Love is the flowerbed. It is the soil, it is the rich nutrient in which we grow. It is foundational to who we are, to the, the stability of our tree. Love is the garden plot from which we grow. Love is foundational for our lives. Love is foundational for our very identity as Christians. In Colossians, Paul, I mean, he's writing all these letters. Paul has a lot to say about love. 
And yes, I'm grabbing from different books, but Paul is making this case about love. He's saying in Colossians chapter 3, 12 through 13, therefore, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, holy and dearly loved, beloved, clothe yourselves with compassion kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bear with one another. And if anyone has a complaint against another, forgive each other, just as the Lord has forgiven you. So you also must forgive. And above all, yes, it's a different metaphor. He's using clothing, but he says, clothe yourselves with love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. The Apostle Paul reminds us that our very identity is rooted in love. Did you catch it? He says, beloved, you and I are God's beloved. This is who we are. We are deeply loved by God. That is core. That is foundational to the identity of who we are as Christians, the love that God has for us. This love must be deeply planted. It must be surrounded, enveloped in the truth. Our root system must be deeply planted. It must be rooted. It must be surrounded in the truth that God loves us. And from this soil of being deeply loved, deeply loved by God, from this soil, from this foundation, the truest identity of who we are, It's from that place that we are able to produce, produce the fruit of God, the fruit of the Spirit. See, love is foundational. It's core to our identity. Love, according to the Apostle Paul, is the only thing that matters. Again, in 1 Corinthians 13, the Apostle Paul says this. Actually, this is Eugene Peterson. I love Eugene Peterson. (laughs) You're going to hear me reference him a lot, but I love the way in which he kind of makes Scripture uh, come alive using common everyday language. And he says it in this way, without love, our words are simply the creaking of a rusty gate. The words that we say without love just sound like the creaking of a rusty gate. Our wisdom, our power, the faith that we have without love is nothing No matter what we say, what we believe, and what we do, everything, everything is bankrupt without love. So that's what love is. But what does love do? Well, you know, I love Bob Goff writes this book, Love Does. Love is an action. It's it's not just a feeling. It's not just a warm, fuzzy feeling. Oh, yes, I love burritos or I love, uh, you know, um, you know, this vacation destination. It's not just like, oh, I love this person. It's not a feeling. It's not just a liking of something. It's an action. There's an expression to it. There's a tangible aspect to it. You can see it, you can feel it, you can taste it, you can touch it. The Apostle Paul reminds us that the whole law in Galatians 5.14, he says, for the whole law is summed up in a single commandment. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. That's from the Apostle Paul. The whole law summed up in that phrase, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. 
And this love isn't just for our neighbors. In fact, we know this. Jesus says, yes, I want you to love your neighbor. But in Matthew 5, he says, you've heard it said. Have we heard this said? Listen to this. You've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Man, is that not the mantra right now? Isn't that not what we're hearing right now? That we're to love those who are lovable, who are like us, but we're to hate those who are our enemies, whom we might be against or might be against us. Jesus says, you've heard that said, but I tell you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Jesus goes on and says, anyone can love those who love them. That's easy. Anyone can do that. But this neighborly kind of love is, is this, this loving those who are like you, this loving those who think like you and act like you and believe in the same things that you believe in. That's easy. That doesn't require the Holy Spirit. Any non, not yet believing person can love like that. <laughs> but loving your enemies, praying for those who persecute you, that is a God kind of love. That is a love that can only be done through the power of the Holy Spirit. That is a love, that is a fruit that can only be displayed because our root is found in Christ and is saturated, is surrounded in love. That kind of love is because we are functioning out of the power of the Holy Spirit. We are being led by the Spirit of God. It is a byproduct, it is the, the product, not just the byproduct, it is the product of the Holy Spirit. And so I have this, this story I want to share with you, and it's not me telling the story. In fact, Dr. Elias Dantas is going to tell this story. We had an opportunity to, to interview Dr. Elias Dantas. He's a global leader. In fact, he, he connects global leaders within the church through his organization, Global Kingdom Partnerships Network. And when he came to us, here at Bellar Church, he shared with us all that God is doing in and through the church around the world. And I want you to hear this. I want you to pay attention to this interview. I want you to hear how the Holy Spirit is moving in and through the church. Watch this interview. Tunisia, they are in Mauritania, they are in Algeria. In Algeria, 70,000 already converted to Christ. And the main leader, his church is about 1,200 people, is a house. They, cannot, they are not allowed to build sanctuaries, so they buy big houses and they put down the walls and, and build pillars, and that is the sanctuary. And his name is Salah. And uh, last year, in the middle of the pan pandemic, uh, uh, the religious police came to his church and said, today is the last day of meeting here. Wednesday will come to lock the doors. You are not allowed to meet anymore. Christians suffer a lot in those environments. And on Wednesday, the police came in force and destroyed everything and beat him badly. And I have the video. And then with the local media was broadcasting alive. And he, uh, he came to the steps of the church and he spoke to the world, you may destroy this building, but you cannot block our hearts and our minds and our mouth. We are going to love you anyway. It was a tremendous impact. Wow. Like 
Jesus says he's going to know, you're going to know that you're my disciples by your love. Right. And I, I'm just so moved by that, that our family, our, our church family that is global, that's universal, is largely known by our love. Of course. I, I just think that's and so if And if our government dare to stop the acts of kindness that the Christians develop mm -hmm. all over the world, mm -hmm. this world will be in a worse Mm. A worse scenario than during the worst pandemic that ever faced. Mm. Uh, 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 hundreds of thousands of social initiatives mm. that are uh, led by by a Christian Christians in general and Christian organizations. Mm -hmm. That the cost of doing those things, if the government in the world decide to do by themselves, will be prohibitive. They will not do it, mm. but we do it mm -hmm. because it's our calling. Did you catch that? Did you catch that phrase that Dr. Elias said? He said, you may, speaking of the pastor, he says, you may destroy the, this building. You may destroy this building, but you cannot block our hearts. You cannot block our minds. You cannot block our mouth. You cannot stop us from loving you. <laughs> that is not what I expected to hear. It kind of, you know, has this, uh, you know, this, this resonance. Uh, you know, you've heard this. Uh, you may take our lives, you know, William Wallace. You may take our lives, but you'll never take our freedom. Like that's kind of the attitude right now. But the church globally is saying, you may take our lives, but you'll never take our freedom to love you. Saying that to an enemy, saying that to someone who is against you, who just beat you, coming out of the doors, looking into the camera and say, you cannot stop me from loving you. That is the mark of a Christian. That is the evidence of the Holy Spirit working in and through us as the church. This is not simply a feeling. It's love activated. It's, it's tangible. It's something you can see. It's something you can taste. It's something you can feel. When was the last time that you were accused of being too loving? <laughs> Is that our problem right now? Sorry, I'm sorry, that's just too much love. You know, hey, I just, that's too much love going around. That, you gotta take your love somewhere else. Is that how people are approaching you and saying, you know what, I, hey, you're nice, but you're just a little too loving? Is that how we're being identified? Is that the problem that we're faced with as a society? Yes, oh man, it's so easy. It's so easy to point fingers to the culture. Ah, there's so much problems with our country today. I hear that said all the time. We point the finger to the culture, but the problem with pointing the finger is, you, yes, how many fingers are pointing back at you? And that's what we need to do as the church. We need to take a long, hard look in the mirror. We need to look at what is the fruit of our lives. Is the fruit of our lives producing something that reflects the root of self or is the fruit of our lives producing something that reflects that we are rooted in Christ, that we are saturated, we are surrounded in love, that the power of the Holy Spirit is working in and through us and it's manifesting itself in the fruit of the Spirit with the flavor and the taste of love. Have we given up on love? Is that something that was for yesterday, for years ago, 
for them back there? Or is love for us today? Is it as effective today as it was when Christ first called us to it? Yes. Yes, love is still affected. And no, we haven't given up on love. And love hasn't given up on us. Love is something that's not just an action. Love is a person. Love is, is the person of Jesus Christ. God is described as love. And we experience God through the person of Jesus Christ in a very tangible way, in a way that we can see and experience and taste and feel and touch the love of God to the person of Jesus Christ. This is good news. Jesus shows us how to love and invites us to follow him. This is what it means for us to be a disciple. Is our problem that we're focused on being too loving? We have so much to lean into here. In John chapter 13, 34 through 35, Jesus says, I give you a new commandment that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you should also love one another. How are we to love? The same way that Christ has loved us. By this, by this love, everyone will know that you are my disciples, Jesus says, if you have love for one another. Paul says in Galatians, after reading Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 through 23, just continue reading. And Paul says, there's no law when it comes to love. There's no limits. There's no boundaries. There's no like, oh, sorry, you can't love that much. He says, go for it. Later, Paul says, I want you to, to spur one another on towards love and good deeds. This is something that we can continue to encourage one another in. Lean into it. Stretch it out. Reach out your branches and display the fruit. Allow it to taste and see like love. Have we given up on love? No. It is not an option. <laughs> we don't have the option to select kindness but not love. It's not a fruit that we get to choose. It is a product of us being rooted in Christ. We can't give up on love. Love hasn't given up on us. 1 John 4, chapter, uh, chapter 4, verse 7 says, Beloved, oh, I love it. That identity. Beloved means that you are deeply loved by God. Start with that. Beloved, let us love. From a place of being loved by God, let us love one another because love is from God and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God for God is love. God's love was revealed among us in this way. God's love was made manifest. It was displayed to us in this way that God sent his only son into the world God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. Do you see it? We are rooted in Christ and we live through Christ. He goes on to say that in this is love, not that we love God, but that God loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. 
Beloved, he says, reminder, this is who you are. This is your identity. Beloved, since God loved us so much, we also ought to love one another. He repeats it. No one has ever seen God. Catch this. His argument is that no one has ever seen God, but, but if, that's a big if, if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is made manifest in us. Do you see it? Are you beginning to taste it? Are you beginning to feel it? This idea that as we abide, as we are rooted in God, that God's love then is made manifest. It is produced. This fruit of love is produced in and through our lives. God is not finished with us. God has not given us, given up on us. Love has not given up on us. We cannot give up on love. Is there anything sweeter? Is there anything sweeter than the love of God? Is there anything more appetizing than when you experience the love of God in someone else's life? Don't you just want to taste that? Don't you just want to be around that? Ah, oh, it's so good. It's so good, friends. Something so foundational, something so vital, something that is, is the defining aspect of how we are to be recognized as Christians. We cannot give up on it. We cannot give up on it. Jesus says that they will know, they will know that you and I are Jesus' disciples by the way in which we love. Let's pray. Lord God, we are reminded of this good news, that we are deeply loved by you and that you revealed this truth to the person of Jesus Christ, that when you came in the person of Jesus Christ, you loved us by laying down your life for us so that we might have life, that we might be rooted in you and that life would flow out of us. That this love that we've been talking about this morning, this, this time together, that this would be made manifest in our lives because of who you are, because of whose we are. This is core to our identity, Lord. We praise you. We thank you and we ask that you would do this, this gardening in our lives, that you would do this tilling, that you would do this uprooting of this root of self and replace it, replace it with the root that is Christ. And from this, might we produce the fruit of the Spirit, Lord. We pray these things for your glory, that they might know that, that we are your disciples, we pray these things for your glory, Jesus. Amen.